Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. If you're joining us for the first time today, we are concluding a series that we have been in for the last six weeks entitled The Ghost, where we have been talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and his role in our lives. Um, We've been looking at this key text that's found in the book of John, chapter 14. And if you've got a Bible, you can go there this morning. But this text is the words of Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples as he's preparing to exit planet Earth, hang out with uh, the Father at the right hand. Uh, But he promised that as he leaves, he's not going to leave his disciples without some help. He says this in John 14, verse 16, um, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Uh, So Jesus here, he tells his disciples that upon leaving the planet, he's going to leave them with some help, uh, the ghost, the Holy Spirit. And he calls him this word, the helper, which in the Greek, as we've studied the last few weeks, is the word parakletos. And it means the one who walks alongside of you. Uh, Jesus says to the disciples, in the same way that I have been walking next to you and I've been uh, giving you direction and clarity and peace and all the stuff you've received from me, that's not going to be gone just because I'm leaving. I'm going to actually send the Spirit of God who will be with you and he will be in you and he will do all that I have done in my absence. And as we've promised over the last few weeks, that was not just something that Jesus said to 12 Jewish boys a couple thousand years ago. That is what he said to all of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus with our whole lives. If you have, as it says in Romans 10, 9, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you have believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, yes, you are saved and the seal of that salvation is that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. And so for the last few weeks, we've discussed his intention, his purpose, the reason you have been indwelt by the Spirit. Uh, We've talked about the fact that he's in us to lead us, and he is the Spirit of truth that guides us into all truth. We talked about conviction and delineating between uh, universal convictions and personal convictions. And then last week, as Jesus said in the conclusion of this paragraph, I won't leave you as orphans. My good friend Eric Flato preached an amazing message about how we've been adopted by the Spirit. I love you, man. His inaugural sermon at the Father's house. Many more to come, many more to come. Uh, But all of those sermons have been teeing us up for today, this moment, uh, because as we conclude this service, we're going to talk about the Spirit's baptism, or as Scripture calls it, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go too deep into this concept, I do want to offer a couple of disclaimers, because uh, based on your spiritual background, whatever church history you might have, that phrase could make you go, woo, show, or... It could make you freak out a little bit. In fact, what I just did might have made you freak out a little bit. (laughs) There's a lot of different beliefs around that phrase. Someone's thinking, I knew I loved this church. And someone else is thinking, I need to find a new church. (laughs) This is probably one of the most debated and polarizing subjects in all of Christianity. It's one of those things that has been the, the, the impetus behind different denominations and factions of Christianity. And people have divided over this issue for years. But I think in light of all that division, it should tell us something. If people have been so confused and so divided over this issue, it should tell us that it must be pretty important. 
If the devil, who is the author of division and confusion, has worked overtime to confuse and divide the church over this issue, he must be threatened by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There must be something so significant about this subject that makes hell itself shake if he wants to do everything he can to talk us out of a theology surrounding it. And if it makes him nervous, you guys know me, if I'm your pastor and this is your church, I'm an antagonist, man, I'm a confronter, and I like making the devil nervous. So today, we're gonna make the devil nervous and we're gonna go ahead and talk about the thing that he doesn't want us to talk about. But as we do, I do need to offer a couple of disclaimers. And I'm gonna give you three as we step into this. And I think this might help some people to open up and receive what the Holy Spirit would speak to us. Number one, I understand who is in the room today. And I don't mean because you signed in out front and I know your attendance record at the Father's house. That's not what I'm talking about. Although, just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean that I understand that there are, is a myriad of different spiritual backgrounds represented on any given Sunday morning in our church. Some of you come from Catholic backgrounds, some from Reformed and more conservative backgrounds, others from uh, charismatic backgrounds or Pentecostal backgrounds. Some of you have no spiritual background. You're like, I'm just happy to be here. I love Jesus and this is my first church and thank you God. And I love you guys. You guys are my favorite in the room. <laughs> but, but in light of all the different backgrounds, I'm gonna be very sensitive with this subject because my goal today is not to talk you into something or persuade you about a belief system. That is not my goal. My goal is very simple. I wanna look at the scriptures and discuss what the Bible has to say about this subject. Nothing else. We're gonna look at a lot of Bible today. Disclaimer number two. I also know that based on your spiritual background, when I use the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's probably a lot of things that start popping up in people's minds. Things that media has portrayed or maybe meetings that you've been in before. And perhaps even as I say that, there's an image of you know, a bunch of people screaming in tongues in a room, some people falling over on one side, some guy blowing a shofar back there, you're getting hit in the face with a, a flag in the back of the room and people doing a fire tunnel and like someone swinging sword and handling snakes and all the stuff we've seen in church. Anyone been in that meeting before. Yeah, I've been in a few of those meetings before. I was the guy in the corner with like his leg kickstand, like you will not push me over. I am going to stand here. I'm that guy. That said, <laughs> I need to offer this disclaimer. Our goal today is not to get weird. I do not have a box of snakes behind the stage. Okay. Just to be clear. I don't want to get weird. I want to get to the word. What does the word have to say about this subject? We're not going to freak anybody out today and make you go to a different church. Number three, last, uh, last, des last disclaimer. Even though I believe I'm gonna do a brilliant job of articulating all that this theology has to offer, <laughs> I know that many of us might still disagree as we leave the room today. You, you might believe differently than we will unpack the scriptures and reveal today. And I wanna let you know that that's okay. It is okay to disagree about this subject, provided we don't divide around it. I tell our team this all the time. We are allowed to disagree, but we cannot divide over that subject. I think one of the greatest signs of maturity as a believer is to have the ability to disagree about something without dividing over it. I think our world would be better off if there were a whole lot of people that were willing to disagree about some stuff without dividing around it. We can have a different pneumatology, which is just a fancy word for the study of the Holy Spirit, but we can still live in harmony with one another. It is possible. In fact, I bet if we were to sit around a very large table with all of us in the room after church today and discuss what we believe biblically, there's probably a lot of different viewpoints represented in the room. We have different eschatologies and different opinions regarding apostasy and eternal security and all the different biblical subjects. But here we are in the house of God together. 
Why? Because we don't major on the minors. We major on the major, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was born of a virgin, and that salvation comes from him and him alone. And as long as we centralize on that, the rest of the stuff is a secondary issue. And so, yeah, we could disagree, but that's okay. Just come back to church next week, all right? It's going to be okay. Because let's be honest, okay? Like if people have been debating this for a couple thousand years, I'm not gonna resolve all of the debate in 45 minutes, you know, here in a rented Scottish Rite facility on a Sunday morning. Someone's not gonna go, oh, it was the pastor on the west side of San Francisco with the stunning ankles that had the answer to the, to the problem all along. Probably not gonna happen today. We might still divide, or excuse me, uh, believe differently, but we don't have to divide around it. However, I think if all of us have an open heart and an open mind today to receive what the Holy Spirit would speak to us, we might begin to see things a little differently through the scriptures. So let's pray as we get into that. And, and if you would, just do me a favor, would you lift your hands towards heaven as we pray? And let's, let's posture ourselves to receive from the Holy Spirit. Lord, today we thank you for your word. We thank you that it says in Psalms chapter 119 that your word is light and it brings clarity and it brings direction and Lord, I pray that an opinion would not be represented on the stage today, an ideology, a theological background, but that your word would ring loud and clear in every heart. Right now, with our hands lifted, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us. Even as we were singing a moment ago, break every wall down. If there are any walls that we've built and beliefs that have kept us from receiving the fullness of what you have for us today, we just ask that you would get beyond all those things, tear them down so that we can receive fully what you have for us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So here's how I wanna do this today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pose three questions. And these three questions will serve as the roadmap that will take us ultimately to a conclusion. I'll answer all of those uh, as we get through the service. And fair warning, if you are a note taker, if you are traditionally the kind to take notes, you might wanna stretch out a little bit this morning because there's gonna be a lot of content for you to take notes on, a lot of scripture that we're gonna look through today. Uh, if you are not generally a note taker. I might appeal to you this morning. It would be a great Sunday to start taking notes. This is a very important subject. Uh, also, statistics show that uh, if you take notes, you are 80% more likely to go to heaven. So you should consider... <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> it's only 40%. Okay. So here are the three questions we're going to hit today. As it pertains to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is it? When do we receive it? And why do we need it? What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? When do we receive it? And why do each and every single one of us need it? Let's go straight in, shall we? So what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? That phrase finds its origin in the book of Matthew, right at the beginning of the Gospels. Uh, Jesus has yet to step into his earthly ministry, and uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, he is standing on the shores of the Jordan River, and he is baptizing people as they repent of their sins. But in his baptism and in his declaration to the crowds, he begins to speak of another person, another baptism that's going to come by way of the Messiah. Uh, he says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, so here in, in, in Matthew, John draws an important distinction between these two baptisms. He says, I baptize in water, and Jesus, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus comes at a later date, uh, after he's resurrected, he looks at his disciples, and he begins to speak of this baptism that John alludes to here in Matthew 3. In Acts 1, he says this, 
Uh, once, when he, Jesus, was eating with them, his disciples, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to describe what that, that looks like. He says in verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Everybody say upon. Come on, say it louder through that mask. Upon, upon, upon. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, so Jesus here begins to use very similar language to his cousin. In, in much the same way, he says, John baptized with water, but I am going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And then he gives this definition for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He says, go and wait in Jerusalem because the Spirit will come upon you. I had you repeat that word for a reason. That word upon is a very important word. In the Greek and in the verb tense, what it literally means is that the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and remain on you. It's going to rest on you. Yes, he is in you, as we learned in Matthew earlier. He is with you, as Jesus taught his disciples. But now Jesus offers a third version of this. The Spirit of God will come and remain upon you. So for definition purposes, I offer you this. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit remains upon you. When the Holy Spirit remains upon you. Now, we don't have enough time to go into this right now. We'll go into this a little bit in our next series as we get into the gifts. Uh, we're talking about the ghost. Next, we're gonna talk about the gifts. Um, but remaining on you is a big deal. This is the first time that that has ever happened in biblical history. This is a brand new concept to Jesus and his disciples. Up until now, if you read through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would fall on people, but it would not remain on people. He would fall for a purpose on Samson, on Saul, on the prophets, and they would do whatever the Holy Spirit commanded them to do. But then after they fulfilled the role, the Spirit of God would lift. He had an agenda. He came, he was on him for a moment, and then he left. Kind of like your ex-girlfriend. She just came and she used you for what she would. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not how Jesus is, I'm just, that's a bad joke. But he would remain on somebody for a moment and then he would bounce. But Jesus, as the first fruits of our faith, is the first person, the God-man in human history, where the Spirit of God descended upon him, as it says in John, and remained on him, it did not lift. And now Jesus says, in the same way this happened to me post-baptism, this is going to happen for all of you. The Spirit of God will be in you, he will be with you, and he's going to remain upon you. Does that make sense? Are we all on the same page? Okay. So I, I know that can be a little bit confusing and perhaps it sounds a bit pedantic. So in an effort to make sure we're all on the same team here, I, I'm going to offer an illustration to, to hopefully clarify how this all works in the spirit. Uh, I will call this the parable of the pickle, if you will, the parable of the pickle. So a couple hundred years, 200 years before Jesus showed up on the planet, uh, there was a Greek poet and physician by the name of Nicander. And Nicander is the first guy credited to writing down the recipe for a pickle. He is the guy who was responsible for teaching all of us how to make a pickle. And in his recipe for pickling, he uses this word baptism twice, although he uses it for different purposes. And the way he uses it is so brilliant because it paints a beautiful picture for how this works for us in 
the Spirit. Uh, in, in Greek culture, the word baptism was a very normal word. It was used on a somewhat regular basis. I know that's not the case in our world. And in, in our day and age, when you talk about baptism, you're probably talking about a church thing. And you, no one's probably said this last week, well, I baptized my clothes in the washer and I baptized my dishes in the sink. Unless you're super Pentecostal and then you're baptized in everything when you go everywhere. But in Greek, they would use this phrase all the time because it was a normal part of their dialect. The definition for baptism or baptizo in the Greek, it means to dip, to immerse, and then look at these last two words, to submerge or to overwhelm. To dip, to immerse, to submerge, or to overwhelm. So, Nicander, in his recipe, gives these four steps for making a pickle. He says, first, one must take a cucumber, and bring a pot of water to boiling. And once the water is boiling, you are to take the cucumber and you are to dip that cucumber into the boiling water, but then you quickly remove the cucumber, dip it into boiling water and take it out. And he uses the word baptize. You baptize the cucumber. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Produce. Here we go, okay. <laughs> Baptized. Now it's in for a moment, but it came out. And he said, when you baptize the cucumber in water, you cleanse it of all of its impurities and you open up its rind to receive what is to come next. Now, once the cucumber has been baptized, you put it into a vessel where it will remain and then one must baptize it with vinegar and spices, completely submerging it and overwhelming it where it will then be. Same word, two different realities. And once that cucumber lives in the vinegar for a long enough period of time, eventually it becomes the pickle. Same word, one means to dip, the other one means to remain and be submerged in. That is a beautiful picture of how the Christian experience is supposed to work. You are baptized in water. And as you come up of, out of the waters of baptism, as we saw just a moment, ago, a moment ago, you are cleansed from all of your sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter six that when we are baptized in water, we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that we are no longer bound to our old sin nature, but we have received freedom in the name of Jesus to live a brand new life. That's what happens in the waters of baptism. But as it is for the pickle, so it is for you. The, you weren't supposed to just be baptized and then be done. The baptism prepares you for something. It prepares you to be pickled. You're supposed to be pickled. Well, someone's thinking, great, now this church is weird. Okay, we're, no. You, you are prepared to be completely submerged and overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when the cucumber is fully submerged and overwhelmed with the mixture, it begins to change. It's, it's very existence, it's, it's, it's formation, it's identity becomes something completely different. Did you know that once a cucumber becomes a pickle, it can never go back to being a cucumber again? It can't revert back to the way it once was because it has been completely transformed, submerged in the Spirit. That's what God has called us to be, fully submerged. He is in us, He is with us, and then He baptizes us and remains upon us. Now, there, there are some implications for this pickling, which we will get into in just a moment, but I don't want to forsake our roadmap. So this is what the baptism on the Holy Spirit is. It is when the Holy Spirit remains upon you. So let's tackle the next question. When? When do we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Now, fair warning, this is where people begin to divide. 
This is where a lot of the different camps uh, find themselves believing different things, and then they attend different churches. I could probably spend the next 30 minutes telling you about all the different ways that people believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place, but I'm, again, not interested in offering you opinion or ideology. I want to offer you scripture today. So we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about this. As we've confirmed every week in this series, when you are saved, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When you believe that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth and you know that he's been resurrected from the dead, once all that's taken place, you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, period. There's no debating that. But we get that from scripture. That's not an idea that we came up with on our own. Look at what what Jesus says uh, to his disciples here in John chapter 20. This is Easter Sunday. Jesus has just resurrected. And it says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now watch this. Then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So at this moment, we are witnessing for the first time in the New Testament, salvation by faith. This is the first time this has taken place. Why do you say that, Tim? Well, if Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Well, up until this moment, the disciples had only done the first half of that. They had confessed Jesus as Lord. If you recall, Jesus came to Peter and he said, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter was like, uh, Elijah, a prophet, a lot of other people. And Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The disciples had declared that Jesus is Lord, but they had never been able to do the second part of that sentence, to believe that God had raised him from the dead. Why? Because he hadn't been raised from the dead yet. (laughs) But now Jesus teleports into a room. I want that gift if it's available. He teleports into a room and he reveals himself to the disciples as the resurrected Christ. And for the first time in human history, someone has the ability to believe that he has been resurrected from the dead. And so now their confession along with their belief has made a way for their salvation. And that salvation is sealed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit, and they do. So let me ask a very dumb question. The answer is obvious. This is not a trick question, but it's important we understand this. At this moment, do the disciples have the Holy Spirit? Yes, the answer is yes. Okay, we just read it. They, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they have the Holy Spirit. But then that same Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter one, hey, I'd like you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the Spirit to come upon you, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they do. And as they go to Jerusalem and they wait, Look at what happens in Acts chapter two, verse one. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd. Now, based on those two scriptures, receive the Holy Spirit, go and wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It seems rather obvious that these are two different things. There is a moment where they are indwelt by the Spirit, and there is a moment where the Spirit came upon them. Separate and distinct works. 
And if that were the only place in scripture where that reality took place, I could understand a number of the different debates that are out there regarding when this happens. But that's not the case. In fact, every single other occurrence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit proves that it is a separate and distinct act. It is an act that takes place after salvation. Now, again, I'm not interested in offering you opinion. We're going to go to the Bible on this, so I apologize in advance for reading a lot of Bible, but I want to prove this through Scripture. Someone made fun of me after the first service. They're like, you just apologize for teaching the Bible at church, but I'm going to apologize anyway. <laughs> Acts chapter 8. But now the people believed Philip's message. They were believers of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were water baptized. So these people have confessed, they believed, they're saved, they're indwelt by the Spirit. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come, here's that phrase, upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Fast forward, uh, Peter is told by the Holy Spirit to go to this Greek guy's house. His name's Cornelius, his whole family. They're a group of believers. They, they believe that Jesus is who he says he is, so they got the Spirit living on the inside of them. But then in Acts 10, it says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. You see that word again, upon. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Acts 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several what? Believers. They got the Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. Uh, no, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Well, then what baptism did you receive? They replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, well, John's baptism called for repentance, but John himself told the people to believe in one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, uh, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. You just saw the entire New Testament narrative regarding the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Did you notice the theme? Salvation, and then the Spirit came upon them. It is clear in Scripture that this is two separate and distinct works. And we must understand that before we go into our last thought here and, and get into our final point, because if we do not understand that these are separate and distinct works, then some of us might believe that we have something that we're lacking, while others believe that they're lacking something that they actually already have. Let me say that again, because that's important. Some might believe that they have something that they're lacking, while others believe that they're lacking something that you actually already have. Let me be clear about what you already have. If you have believed in Jesus, if you've confessed with your mouth that he is Lord, and you have trusted that he has been, been resurrected from the grave, you have everything that you need for salvation. You are on your way to heaven, period. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. When you stand before Jesus, you don't have to be timid and afraid. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that's been set before you because you've believed that he is who he declared that he was. That's it. Some hyper-Pentecostal beliefs out there have taught and wrongfully taught that unless you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and you pray in tongues, that you are not actually saved. That is not biblical. That is not what Scripture teaches. That is outside of the counsel of Scripture. You can be baptized in water and you can talk in whatever language you want and still go to heaven, okay? You can speak English, you can speak Spanish, you can speak Mandarin, you can speak Tagalog, you might even be able to speak French and you can still go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
That's not what this is about. This is not a salvation issue. But there is a purpose for it. It might be something that you're lacking, and and I think the Holy Spirit wants to tell us, no, there's something that you need. There is a reason for this baptism. So why do we need it? Last question that we need to answer. Simply put, I'm going to give you two thoughts on this. The first one is power. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit for power. Acts chapter 1 and 8 again. Let's throw this on the screen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, in San Francisco, in Pacifica, in San Jose, up and down the coast. You're going to tell people about me everywhere. No matter where you go, they're going to know about you. Now, now leave leave this on the screen for me for just a moment, Taylor. If you did not have any biblical background... If you did not have any teaching regarding the subject of the Holy Spirit, all you had was this promise in the Bible when someone handed this to you, what would you conclude is the purpose for the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Power. Let's read it again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It seems rather obvious that that is the purpose. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say that the purpose for the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to speak in tongues. Did all the disciples speak in tongues? Yeah. Did most of the people in the New Testament who received the baptism in the Holy Spirit speak in unknown languages? Yes, they did. But that is not the purpose. The purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit was for power. And power for what? Power to be my witnesses. To tell people about me. That word in the Greek literally means to be a visible representation to a watching world that Jesus is alive and active. When people see your life, they should be able to say, I see Jesus. Remember who Jesus is talking to in this scripture, okay? He's talking to a frail, timid group of 12 disciples that in a scripture a moment ago we read, they were hiding in a room for fear that they were going to share the same fate as their crucified Messiah. This is the same Peter that denied Christ in front of a little girl and two other guys around a fire and then ran away and got back out on his fishing boat when he should have been serving God. But when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of God fell on them, they received a power that they did not have before. They became witnesses and they stood before crowds of thousands and they declared that Jesus was Lord of all and he was the only way to be saved. What happened? They were transformed by power. Allow me for a moment, if I could, to take off my teacher Tim hat and put on my preacher Tim hat, which I am far more comfortable in, because this is a big deal. Listen to me. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness in your world today. You need, I need the power of the Holy Spirit so that when people look at our lives, they see Jesus. And I know that there might be some folks in the room that would say, well, Tim, I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm just a mom. I'm just a nurse. I'm just an engineer. I'm just an administrator. Listen, your work has nothing to do with your witness. Your entire life is a witness to the person of Jesus. When you live in freedom from addiction by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are a witness to a watching world. When you walk through a season of sickness and diagnosis with faith, you are a witness to a watching world. When you raise your kids with purity and with integrity, you are a witness to a watching world. 
When you have peace while everybody else is freaking out, you are a witness to a watching world. When you carry yourself with purity while everybody else around you is living with promiscuity, you are a witness to a watching world. And yes, when you have the guts to tell your friends and your family members and your coworkers that, I don't know what happened, but I met this guy named Jesus and he transformed my life. Yes, you are a witness to a watching world. I pray that we don't forfeit the power that could be ours because we get tied up on something as silly as how we're talking. Bad teaching and bad theology and fear for speaking in tongues. Meanwhile, we are forfeiting the very thing that makes us different from everybody else on planet Earth, that we have received boldness and power to declare our Savior to a desperate and dying world. We need power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is off the dome, but... There is someone here today who's been living in addiction for years, and no matter how hard you try to shake it, you can't. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to break that thing. There's someone here who recently received a diagnosis, and you are living in fear underneath that thing. You need power from the Holy Spirit to see your diagnosis a little bit differently. You need the power that only comes by the baptism, the remaining upon of the Holy Spirit. We need the power. But, but there's a, a second need, a second why for this. And this is where we will transition perhaps into a little bit of opinion, but I, I believe biblical opinion. Second reason we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for prayer. We need them for power and we need them for prayer. Look at what scripture says in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what shall I do? Well, I'm going to pray in the spirit and I will also pray in English or Tagalog or Mandarin. <laughs> I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words I understand. Look at this, Romans chapter eight. I love this scripture. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we don't know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, with words we don't even understand. And he who searches the heart knows uh, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit prays for the saints according to the perfect will of God. Th these two scriptures, they, they delineate between the two different kinds of prayer, the two different kinds of, uh, of prayers that we need to be aware of. And some smart theologians, far smarter than I, have delineated between this, calling it the gift of tongues and the grace of tongues. I don't have a lot of time to unpack that this morning. One is for public use that requires interpretation. Another for private use, praying in the spirit. If you're curious about any of that, email us. I will send you a bunch of great resources and you can research that this week. But for the sake of our conversation today, I wanna to keep it as simple as possible. Why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? For prayer. We need the baptism in the Holy Spirit so that we can pray in the Spirit. Paul tells us here that the Spirit of God inside of us has the capacity to pray for us. He, he, he prays when we don't know what to pray. And he prays in a language that we don't even understand. And have you ever been in a place before where you didn't even know what to pray? I've been there many times. A couple of months ago when my daughter was in the ICU and she was in surgery for far more hours than they told us she was gonna be in surgery for and they didn't have answers to her condition and she was near death's door, I didn't know what to pray, man. I don't know how to pray for that. I didn't know what to pray as I was pacing the hallways of the hospital, but the Spirit knew what to pray. And isn't it interesting that he says 
that when the Spirit prays for us, he actually has the capacity to pray the perfect will of God. Not the twisted, polluted will of humanity, <laughs> appealing to God, hoping that he will answer their prayer, but the perfect, untainted will of God. I know that I have prayed some prayers that are not the will of God. <laughs> I know you have prayed some prayers that are not the will of God. I have read your prayer cards before. God, I just pray that he would ask me out. He's really good looking and he has heck of money and I know he doesn't love you, but would he? That ain't Jesus. <laughs> He's like, that ain't my will, girl. But when the spirit prays, there is no mixing of human desire. It is just God's perfect plan for your life. He prays the perfect will of the Father. That's crazy, isn't it? That the Spirit can pray in a language we don't even understand, and it's the perfect will of God. But let me freak you out a little bit more. That's actually been proven in science. It's literally been proven that when people pray in the Spirit, when they pray in tongues, that they don't understand what they're saying. There was a, a, a neurologist by the name of Andrew Newberg, and um, he was not a believer, but he was curious about this phenomenon of Christians speaking in tongues. And so he invited a number of subjects over to his offices and he uh, hooked them up to some brain scanners and he asked them to pray in English and then to pray in tongues. And he was going to scan their brains while they were praying to determine whether or not they actually knew what they were saying. He was convinced that this was all a bunch of nonsense, that what the Bible was saying and what these people were claiming was not true. And so he was set out to prove it. However, what he found after scanning them is that when they prayed in English, the frontal lobe, which is the part of your brain that processes language, was lighting up, it was active, and people knew exactly what they were saying. But when he asked them to begin to sing or to pray in tongues, that whole section of the frontal lobe went dark on the scan, and there was no explanation. They were praying something, but they didn't know what they were praying. Now, he was not a believer, and this was not a convincing moment for him. He said, I don't know whether or not the Spirit of God is praying or not, but here's what I can tell you. Their claims are true. They have no idea what they're praying. I'm convinced it's just scientific proof of what we already know through Scripture, that when the Spirit prays, we may not know what he's saying, but he's praying the perfect will of God, and he's making intercession for us. That is why, and I don't mean to freak anybody out with this, but that is why I pray in tongues every single day. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> I, I pray in tongues because I don't know the will of God for my life. I pray in tongues because sometimes I don't know how to pray. And I'll conclude my prayers in English, and then I'll start praying in the Spirit. I'll, I'll go before the Word, and I'll pray in the Spirit, asking the Spirit to reveal things to me. As I'm walking around throughout the day, I'll find myself praying. And I don't do it weird. I, I'm not like in the produce section of the grocery store and just like lose control, like, ah, like freaking people out. We have enough weirdos in Christendom. We don't need any more, all right? I'm trying to make them normal, a little bit more normal, okay? But, but I pray in the Spirit. And when I pray in the Spirit, the perfect will of God for my family, for my life, for our city, for our church, is being offered up by the Spirit of God inside of me to the Father. That's amazing. And it is for that reason that I am convinced, again, this is going to be opinion, but I am convinced that every believer has the opportunity to be baptized in the Spirit and to pray in the Spirit. 
I don't believe that every believer has the gift of tongues. I think that is distributed as we see in scripture to some, but not to all. But I believe that all believers have the grace of tongues. I believe that everyone can pray in the spirit. And here's why I say that. If God is good, which he is, and he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to pray when we don't know what to pray and to pray the perfect will of the Father, why would he withhold that from some of his children? Why would he allow some to access but others not when we all face the same problems in life? I don't think he would. And I, I think that Jesus actually backs that up in scripture. Last verse before we conclude, and I'll have the band come with this, but this is Luke chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Of course he would. He's a good father that distributes good gifts. He will give it to those who ask. Now, I know that's a lot of information. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant today. But, but I wanna end with a very simple question, okay? As we've considered all of this, what is it, when does it happen, why do we need it? Here's my question I pose to you. Have you been pickled? <laughs> have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit? How do I know? Do you have some power? Let's, let's put the, the debatable side of tongues aside for a moment. Are, are you a powerful witness to Jesus? Does your life display to a watching world that he is God and he is all powerful and that life is different as a result of him being in your heart? Is, is your life any different? Are you a powerful witness? And I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to every one of us right now and he's appealing, hey, this is for you. Or, hey, you've got what you need. Now, he's good like that. But I'm asking, have you received this? And if you have not, but you would like to, today we're gonna pray for that. And here's how we're gonna conclude the service. As I mentioned at the beginning, our band is gonna play one last song and we're gonna worship together. And as the band begins to sing, you're gonna have one of two options. Option number one, you are welcome to head out to the porch, eat the donut holes, drink the coffee, enjoy one another's company. Uh, there's exits to right and my left. You sound fast in your seat. We can go out for all, by all means. But for those who would like to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna ask you to remain in the room and to come forward to these altars. I know we don't normally do that. And to stand and worship around here. We're gonna worship for a little bit and then we're gonna do what scripture has taught us to do. A bunch of our prayer leaders are gonna come and they're gonna begin to lay hands on people around you. They'll come in behind you and lay hands on you. And we're just gonna pray. We're gonna pray that everyone who is interested would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to strive for this. I'll tell you right now, everybody who comes and asks for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus just said it right there. If you ask for it, you will receive it. Now, here's what I did not say. I did not say that everybody's gonna pray in tongues. I did not say that that's even what we're aiming for up here. Some might, that's cool. Others may not. If it is for private prayer, it may happen in private as it has for many others. But we are going to all receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit.
Now, I know that normally at the conclusion of our services, we open up the altars, and if you need prayer for anything else, have you come this direction and receive prayer? Today, I would like to reserve our altars for this specific purpose, for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. However, this week and this week only, a limited time deal for you. If you need prayer for anything else, um, I would invite you to go to our app or to our website, click on the prayer button, tell us how you need prayer, and leave your phone number, please, so that one of us can call you this week and we'll pray with you over the phone. Or if you're des in desperate need, we will come and we'll find you and we'll hang out and we'll pray together. We're, we're willing to commit to that this week because we wanna make sure that we focus the altar time on this moment. One more thought before we conclude. And listen to me very carefully. Everyone look at me. Do not let fear, intimidation, bad teaching, the unknown keep you from what the Holy Spirit wants to deliver today. Do not get in your head and talk yourself out of this, okay? This last week, my oldest daughter um, asked me if I could pierce her ears. She's 11 and her sister, who is nine, has had her ears pierced for a couple of years, but I made the mistake of bringing our youngest to a tattoo shop to get pierced and it was a bit traumatizing for our oldest daughter. So she's like, I don't want anything to do with that. So she's been without earrings for a little while, but as she got near her 11th birthday, she decided I'm ready to have my ears pierced. And so I went on Amazon and I bought a gun and uh, I brought a, a, a piercing gun, just to be clear. <laughs> Didn't use a handgun to pierce my kid's ear. <laughs> um, I don't even know if you can get that on Amazon. So I bought the piercing gun and uh, I had her sit down on the, on the bed the day before her birthday and we drew the little dots on her ears and lined it all up. And uh, just about the time I was getting ready to pull the trigger, she started freaking out. She's like, I don't want to, I'm scared and it's gonna hurt. And I'm like, sweetheart, it's, it's just, it's gonna feel like a pinch, it's gonna be fast. Before you know it, we'll be done. And she got all up in her head and freaked out and she ran out of the room and didn't want anything to do with it. The great irony being that this same kid a couple of months ago was having major organs removed from her body, IVs jabbed into her arm every couple of hours. She gets her blood drawn all the time. Twice a day, we have to stick a needle into her to give her a blood thinner, and yet she was scared of a needle in her ear. Why? Because she had imagined the feeling. She had imagined what was going to take place. And so my wife, uh, being the loving mother that she is, she said, okay, Ellie, come back in the room. I, I will let dad give me a third hole in my ear. He can pierce a third hole in my ear just to show you that it's not going to hurt. Like, this is the greatest test of truth. Like, like if, you, if you love me, I'm gonna pierce you. Okay, that's, that's, that's a real honest relationship right there. So I line up my wife's ear and I give her a third piercing. And uh, she says, see, Ellie, it doesn't even hurt. And Ellie's like, okay, okay, okay. So she sits back down on the bed and she, she says, can I count to three? And I did that thing that you should never do as a parent, but when they get to two, you pull the trigger instead of three. So she's like, one, two. She kind of snapped for a minute. She's like, oh, is that it? I said, yeah, that's it. She's like, it didn't hurt at all. And I said, exactly. You had your, that imagination running wild. It was all in your head. I think that there are so many Christians that have talked themselves out of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they're all in their head. They have imagined some kind of weird possession that takes place where you're writhing on the floor and uncontrollably speaking in tongues. And that's not what this is. <laughs> that's not how God works. This is a promise that we see all throughout scripture and the Holy Spirit is making it available to you today. Do you want to receive this? Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't be the 50 year old in the spirit without your ears pierced because you've talked yourself out of this. It's yours. It's a free gift. Amen? 
So, so let me pray and then we'll give some directives from there for, for those that want to receive prayer for this. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's just one more time appeal to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. I pray that anyone in this room who feels unready, apprehensious, going through the narrative of reasons why they shouldn't, just right now, would you break all those barriers down? Get to our hearts today. Even now, as, as we get ready to conclude, as I mentioned earlier, if this is in fact a subsequent work, if it is after salvation, then there are perhaps some in the room today that before we pray for anything else, we need to pray for that. That you would get things right with Jesus before we ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And if you're here this morning and you would say, hey Tim, I'm far from God and I don't know that the Spirit lives on the inside of me. I've been away from Jesus or I've never made a decision to follow Him. I wanna appeal to you first and say, are you interested in being saved before anything? If that's you, I wanna pray a very simple prayer with you. But before I do that, would you do me a quick favor? If you need to get things right with Christ today, would you quickly lift your hand up and look at me so that I know who I'm praying with? Right on, bro, got you right there, yes. Right there, man, awesome. Yeah, right here in the second row, right there. Yeah, in the back, I got you. Both you guys up there, awesome. Yeah, right here, sweet. Okay, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. You can just repeat this in your heart after me, but this is preparing us for what's next. You can say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today I choose to follow you. Help me to be your disciple. I invite your spirit to come and live on the inside of me. May I walk in your ways from this day forward until that moment where I meet you in eternity and you look me in the eye and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. Today I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, for all those that just made that decision, can we celebrate today? Can we celebrate? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.